welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. I am your host, Gary Howard. And if you're a returning listener, thank you. Sorry for the long pause. And if you are a new listener, thank you for giving me an opportunity, you know, a shot to listen to. But what I do is I'm a truck driver. I used to be an OTR truck driver. Now I'm a dump truck driver in Houston. But I talk about reviews and different things at truck stops. I also talk about a murder that may happen around that truck stop. So, and it contains murder, violence, sometimes rape. And if this is not for you, I do. I thank you for giving me a shot, but sorry, this is not for you. But we do talk about stuff like that, as in the murder, the title, Truck Stop Murder, but and True Crime Podcast. So far, all my episodes have been about murder. One of these days, I do have some planned up that is just crime. Um, but as of right now, we've just been covering murders. But as for my long pause in the, my recording, a lot of it has to do with I started a new job. I used to work for Prima Express, you know, long haul. But after nine years in the military and six years driving OTR truck, I'm, I'm ready to go home stay home which has been a nice month off at home constantly get to go home every night and it's not too bad so with that i had you know the transition trying to get everything set up and also set up my studio get everything worked out also the case that i do want to cover is my niece danielle but there's really not much about her i can't find anything but i will get into that i have asked a lot of her family members for info but just not get nothing but anyhow if that's what you like to do thank you for giving me opportunity if you like to listen to that story without further ado this today's story now this is a two there's two stories in this because if if, if i just did my niece it would be about a 10 minute 10 15 minute episode so today we're going to cover Danielle and now Ancestry.com has it down as Danielle and Town Denise Salvita. I think that's how you say the last name, but that was her boyfriend before all this occurred. Also, I'm going to do the case to give this content. Now, this one takes me into New York, which is the case of Catherine Genovese which I'm excited about doing that. Both these women made an impact on other people's lives. Danielle, in a way, uh, locally, but with Catherine Susan Genovese, I believe is her name. Yep, Catherine Susan Genovese made a dramatic impact on the way we do things, but we'll all get into that. But as always, there's always a truck stop. And this truck stop right here is in Sauk Village, Illinois. That's where I actually grew up at because Danielle lived in Stager. So this place, the, the truck stop itself is on Sauk Trail. Unfortunately, there's it's a fairly new truck stop, so I can't, there will not be no Google Earth photos of this. I do apologize. But there'll be other pictures on my social media pages if you want to see that. So, yep, it is right there on the corner of 394 or the Dam Ryan, what some people call it, or names are always changing. But if you're in Sauk Village and Sauk Trail, right on the corner of 394 and Sauk Trail. There's 70 spots, the overnight parking. There's five shower scales. It's, it's a very new one. So it's the, the rest of the store, the truck stop itself is very nice. Not too bad modern. Now, all this information I'm going to get is from Trucker's Path, and I think they're kind of confused or wrong on the the food-wise restaurants. Which, When I went there, the only places I've seen was three restaurants, if I remember right. But if you're driving into there, oh, right, by the way, this place does have a 4.0 rating for 33 reviews. And there's no exit, but just the Sock Trail exit on 394 but I said everybody seems really like the the truck stop itself as for food now they have a Dunkin Donuts which is true you know I try to stay within a quarter mile of the restaurant but here's where it gets unless they update it since I quit going there for a while and I'll tell you why but they have a black style black salt Indian bar which I remember seeing and who's barbecue which maybe or maybe not be there Tony's food and liquor roots bamboo jerk and Stirk's 
super food. Boy, I remember that the Dunkin' Donuts is there. There is a Dunkin' Donuts there. So if you go there, and most truck drivers have there, you have to get your refill through the. So there's not coffee in the store. You have to get it through Dunkin' Donuts. There's a Dunkin' Donuts. Also, there's like a beef place where Italian beef and different combos, stuff like that, is just really big in the Chicago area if you like that. And then there's a taco place, which is kind of cool because. It looks like there's actually a taco truck inside the building. So you go there, and they all is really good food. They have alcohol, beer, all that good stuff there. But, yeah, the, the store itself is nice. But my experience, when it first opened up, there's always parking. And then eventually they added pay parking, which is just not too many of them. But then it became for more of a local driver, for local drivers where they work and they just park their car. You see a lot of truck stops like that where they'll park their car there, you know, reserve the spot. So when they come back, their truck has a spot to live and they will not be reserved. I can understand if it was reserved, but these are not reserved. And just some these stores just don't care. They just don't, you know, they just don't go monitoring that stuff. So therefore, if you're OTR truck driver and looking for a place to park there, it's kind of hard. In fact, the last time I went there, the place looked like a social gathering in the truck stop. There's cars all over the place. There's one guy parked in a driving, you know, lane and eating. So I don't go there no more. Unless, well, not, I say I don't go there no more. Not, well, actually, I don't because I'm no longer OTR truck driver, but I am a, I mean, in Houston, but I'm not giving it up totally. I still have my CDL. My medical car will be up to date soon. So, but if I ever want to go back on the road and find out this is not working for me, then that because I did leave good, on good terms with Prima Express. But yeah, there's really nothing negative about this truck stop. Five stars everywhere. A lot of places very nice and clean, well lit, secured parking lot, and food is great. Yeah. And then our best truck stop in town. It's the only truck stop in town. I love eating here. The parking lot is so quiet and clean. Well, that was two months ago. I don't know. Maybe you got confused with the other one. I didn't have that experience with it. It's interesting place with some local unique eats. Yep. Now, let's see what people think negative because I could go positive all day, you know, on this. One anonymous just says terrible. Two star. This place was good when it first opened. Now four wheelers plugging up spots. Exactly. And one is a one star review says the diesel price is two fifty five. And updates on parking. A lot of people updates on parking when they do leave the negative reviews. Clean food. You know, Catskill, etc. How much I'm looking for this one review. And it was hilarious. I think I'm just placed at the Catskill. Every truck stop should be like this. Nice, big, lot, friendly services. So, yeah. It is not a bad place if you're a truck driver. But, yeah, like I said, if you're driving your car and you end up stopping through here for some reason, maybe on your way from Kankakee, going to Chicago, Chicago leaving. Yeah, you have a, a Italian restaurant. We, not Italian restaurant. You have a Italian roast beef place, which has all the mentees, a hot dog stand, everything that what Chicago has, a Dunkin' Donuts, and a taco van. You know, well, I say taco van, but it's a taco, plus they have the food that normal truck stops have. So there you go. That is the truck stop where Sock Village. Now let's talk about Danielle and Denise Town. She had lived in Steger, Illinois, which is right, you know, like a bordering city of there. And she was born in April 6, 1993, and her mother, Sandra, you know, and her dad, father, let's see what his name, I had it in my notes right here, Dennis Town. Yep. Her, no, Donald Lee Dennis. I should know this. He's my brother-in-law. But I really never really talked to him. Oh, by the way, this is my niece. I, if I've not mentioned that, I'll mention now. But I did not really. I met him maybe once or twice in the past. And, of course, my sister Sandy, you know, long story short, I met her in 95 because we had a my, me, my her, our fathers. He took off when I was one, So I, but I did not meet him until... 30 but she had met me when I was a teenager she wanted to get hold of me but unfortunately for Danielle and 
Cat with Stephen, you know, Cat, you know, the comedian, I can't think of his name, Cat Williams, said the best. Because they were addicts. When I first met Donald, he was not doing drugs at the time, but he was, he loved to drink. And, of course, Andrew, she had a past history of drug use. But he said it is, it will save a person's life to be broke. A drug addict is not good to have money. So, unfortunately, I mean, if they would have used it, it would have been good. But Donald Lee ended up getting an inheritance of some property that they sold, and they both got a lot of money. And because of their drug use, they were not unable to take care of Danielle. So they had given her, well, let her stay with their grandparents, Sandra Lynn's mom. I mean, we have separate moms while they did that. And because of the heavy-duty drug, and they had a lot of money by... Th- they, they're healthy. They end up going through all the money. And in 2005, Donald Dennis has passed away. And 2007, Sandra ended up passing away. I don't know what they... I know her liver was really bad. Her mom's liver was really bad. But that's not what we're talking about. But, yeah, so that's how she... That's, that's her gro- how she grew up. She was raised by her grandmother and grandfather which not too long after i passed away as well um, and but she did not let these negative things influence her life she was really strivable she advanced really fast in school in fact she was rotc in there and became the commander of it and right now i'm actually i'm going through all the notes right now because this has actually been a really hard episode to research because there's really, I can't find, I research and then I cannot really find really no information. I guess it's because it's not one of them, you know, it's not very popular, you know, I mean, unless it's me because I, she's my niece. There's a lot of information that I, you know, that I personally know. Well, actually, me and her never met. Unfortunately, in 95, I have moved down to Texas. So I met her once when I saw him at the zoo, but this was when they had all that money. So, but she was still a child. So, but yeah, she ended up advancing to commander in ROTC, which I will get into that a lot. She was ranked really high in, in officer training, best, and because of that, she actually was able Daniel here you go Daniel's grandparents took custody of her when she was five years old because her parents could no longer care for her her both subsequently passed away in the last few years her grandfather has suffered a stroke and needed much help and assistance for several years as well before she before he passed away during all this time Danielle usually did not disclose she didn't tell nobody about this information because all in need information it wasn't important to anyone to know this and so and actually Danielle because you know she uses as like a building stone you know to you know event she she did not let it hold her back so Danielle when she she graduated high school with honor she earned a full scholarship to Ripken College in Wisconsin and was the commander of her high school's Navy ROTC program if you met her, you wouldn't know any of her past because she did not let her hold her back. She was never prestigious about her, you know, really arrogant about her accomplishments. So, but yeah, she was ready to start a new life. So let's talk about, we talked about her. Let's talk about Enrique Mascaro. Mascaro? Okay, I see. He was born in 1991. And they were family friends of the, the towns. Ricky was born on November 24th, 1991 in Harvey, Illinois. Illinois. If I said that to some Illinois, you don't say the S. It's Illinois. Even though the S is there, I can never figure out why it's there, but it's there. But there were close friends of Danielle and the families. Everybody knew him. He was kind of, a lot of people thought he was kind of strange. But nobody really paid much attention to him, didn't think they were going to do anything. So in 2011, she actually graduated, she graduated from high school, getting ready to go to college. But during this time, Enrique's father decided that, you know, sent her a plane ticket. Why don't you come down to North Carolina and hang out for this, hang out for a week or two weeks, you know, come visit us. 
and spend some time on the beach before you go to college. So she went down there, but during this time, like I said, Enrique, I think he had a, a really big crush on her, but he would have, you know, been told by a lot of people that he would stalk her, send flowers to her, but leave anonymous, you know, wouldn't say who it's from or nothing, but be really stalker. And matter of fact, her parents, her grandparents at the time, her grandmother said it was kind of, you know, always worried about him, actually worried about her going to North Carolina because of this, because of him. But that her her mom was still alive and decided it wouldn't be a good idea. At this time, this is when I was in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, actually. She had reached out to me to visit me, but, you know, the one of my regrets in my life that I just, nothing I could do about it. But I was moving out. And she had contacted me and wanted to visit me and hang out with me, but she could not get to Fort Bragg. So she went down there, and everything after this is just, I read some things, I can't find it no more, but stated that when she went down there to hang out with him, he was still trying to inter, you know, interact with her as a relationship, but she did not want to. She already had a boyfriend at the time that was still up in Chicago. She came by herself. And after this, they decided he told her something about a party by the beach. So they went there and disappeared. And they did not come home that night. So they were wondering what happened. They knew the location where they were going, but they did not know where they were. So they went to the last known position of where they might have been, where they saw a, what was looked like a massacre, a bloody sight. There's blood, there was branches broken and whatnot. And it looked like something happened there. So, of course, that fast concerns at the time everybody's looking to start putting you know different you know wanting you know putting notes you know signs up looking for her wondering where they both were at this time both Enrique and Danielle was considered missing and the people in my family up in Chicago thought since I was the last people who person who they known talked to they start asking me questions I was like I don't know I talked to her a week ago, you know, over the, you know, right before the weekend, but I've not heard nothing back from her. I messaged her and said I would get back with her, but there was no response. So they decided to track her, Enrique by his cell phone, which they found him going to Virginia. And so they start tracking him. And at a donut shop in Clifton Forge, Virginia, he was driving around erratically and actually stopped to went in the donut shop and asked for directions and that's when she went back to they called the police because they had recognized him from different you know well for really i don't think they recognized him they just the way he was acting so he was acting crazy so they called the police where on sally they had discovered they questioned him and he was acting crazy they did open the trunk and that's where they found that danielle with a gunshot wound to her head and Corson family was notified and was charged with first degree murder and was as you know, he waived extradition rights and went back to you know to the you know back to North Carolina where that the crime actually happened in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. He was charged with killing his friend, eighteen year old uh, honor student. By the way, I didn't she had got a scholarship to the college, so that's is how she was but he was transferred back to North Carolina. Escort, you know, extradited back to North Carolina where he was facing murder charges. But he did not really say nothing. He didn't really give out really no information about it. He just stayed quiet. But unfortunately, the trial would never happen. Two years after shooting, he was found hung. He hung himself and he committed suicide in the cell. So there was really no court transcripts. There's no testimonies or nothing why he did this and just the only thing I could think of in a lot of his family her family that says things might have happened was that he just had a crush on her and because he decided well maybe since he can't have her nobody will have her 
and because of his selfish attitude now and of course murders don't always affect one side it always affects two sides affect his family and our family as well but because of this you know sadly she did pass away of you know of the gunshot wounds but because of that her life did he started a legacy there's a lot of people because of this and because of her impact of the school they had made a annual DOT DDT fitness in her honor so the last one I seen was I think 2015 they had a th actually 2013 was the last one I seen I don't know if they continue doing that but they have for like a fitness challenge where different schools compete on that. They also have individual ones to earn the Bloom Trophy. Also, they get a scholarship with this. So, past recipients of this, 2015 was the Danielle T. Denise Memorial Scholarship, also a award, at least one, you know, awards at least one $1,000 scholarship per year for something person receptionist I can't say that must be enrolled in the JRTC program at Bloom Trail High School and stay growing for at least two years prior to applying applicants for you know their 2016 but that was the last one I seen there now so they have a scholarship they also have the physical fitness for that but yeah legacy you know person stated that I recently lost someone close to me while she wasn't a relative. I consider her my adopted daughter and often told her so. She was my my oldest daughter's best friend, which is another per I reached out to her in nothing. And they grew up together for 13 years at our lake cottage. Unfortunately, a family friend murdered her while she was visiting his family on a vacation last summer. You may have heard about the news. It's occurred to me, however, when she goes after the rather then focus on Danielle's death. I needed to focus on her life. Even though she was 18 when she passed away, she left some excellent examples of how we all should live our lives. But like I said, yeah, even with her family, with the drug use and different things about her, she never let that, uh, you know, affect her life. Everything she lived her life to the fullest, you know, and never stopped, you know, trying to achieve greatness. So there you go, Danielle Denise Town. I wish I had more information about that, but sadly I don't. There's really, she is not like a really popular case because it was a small, there's nothing really covered in news really heavily, unlike what I'm about to cover now. My next, you know, because right now I would have been over with right now, but this is one episode right now that also affected a lot of people's life. And we're talking about this one can, you know, started up to 911. This is also, you know, with the bystander laws started off this and all started with Kitty Catherine Jenna, Kat, Kitty, no, not Kitty. Her name is, sometimes my, computer goes crazy on me Catherine Susan Genovese let's talk about Catherine Genovese she was born in Brooklyn New York the eldest of five children of Italian American parents Rachel and Vincent Genovese she was raised Catholic and living in a brownstone home on a 29th Street John's Place in Park Slope a western Brooklyn neighborhood populated mainly by families of Italian and Irish heritage in her teenage years, she attended the all-girl purpose prospect, uh, all-girl prospect heights high school, where she was recalled as being self-assured, being beyond her years, and having a sunny disposition. After her mother witnessed the murder, her family moved to New Canaan, Connecticut, in 1954. While Genovese had recently graduated from high school were made in Brooklyn. She said she wanted to live the good, you know, the fast. She liked that lifestyle that they had in New York. Remain in Brooklyn with her grandparents to prepare for her upcoming marriage. Later that year, the couple with marriage was annulled near the end of 1954 because of different health. You know, she could not really, she could not have sex. She has some medical conditions that 
was now made it very painful for her to do so. The doctors did say that they could do a surgery on it to correct this, but she decided not to go with that. Because secretly, you know, she not really knew she was trying because at the time, homosexuality was not acceptable way of life. In fact, in some places, it was considered um, a violation. You know, you could go to jail for that, which is crazy how far we've come since that. And so, but after moving into an apartment in Brooklyn, Genevieve worked at clerical jobs, which she found unappealing. But in 1950, she had accepted a position as a bartender in August of 1961. She was briefly arrested for bookmaking. Actually, she was just like, um, after being taken bet, well, she, she's been taking bet for horses, races for her to bar Patreons. She and her friend D. G. U. A. Gamari were fined $50 each, but because of this, she had lost her job. Now, with this, all she was, she was a middle person where she would get these bits and give it to somebody i guess she was still participating in matter of fact when the police had arrested her for it she was being sarcastic about it. she goes yeah i pulled in three thousand dollars this week and i get five percent <laughs> they didn't find that very amusing matter of fact if you ever look her name up this mugshot actually is the one that she is known by police for for that not to say she is a very attractive woman but she found another bartending bartending position at Eve's 11th Hour Bar on Jamaica Avenue on 193rd Street in Hollis, Queens, and was soon managing the bar on behalf of its attendee, you know, owner, absentee owner. So the owner was never there. Let me rephrase that. Managing the bar on behalf of her, its absentee owner. By working double shift shifts, she's able to save money, which she intended to use to open a tiny restaurant. She shared her Kew Gardens apartment in 82nd and 70th on Austin Street with her girlfriend and Mary Ann Zinalanko, where she met 1963. And let's talk about this. I mean, I always thought this was just this woman with some really confidence. She walked up to her there at a, a bar and she walked up to her and said, do I know you? And she said, I don't think you. Of course, she thought it was kind of pig crazy pickup line, but she's all the same she goes no i don't think so and so they started dancing have a good time and during this meeting she actually left and she's like oh my god i can't find her where did kitty go you know that's what was her name and everybody called her kitty so a few weeks passed by and she found a note on her door saying there's a payphone right across the street be there at this certain time and pick up the phone so she called him up and that was kitty so after that now nobody really they kept it like i said during the 60s homosexuality was as you know people really frowned on that so they really never knew let nobody know what was going on with this relationship they were just roommates so let's talk about another person that was involved in this then we'll get into what happened winston mosley Winston Mosley was 29-year-old at, you know, from, he was from Ozone Park, Ozarn, Ozone Park, Queens, worked as Remington Rand as a tab operator, preparing the punch cards used at the time for data storage and digital computer work. He was, he was a very smart man. He was married with three children with no criminal history. And later, People find he had a, like a 130. He was not like he had a 135 IQ, so he was very intelligent. And as for a, a black person at the time, he was really accelerating for the time. I think that he had his own home, five you know, German shepherds, you know, so he had a good lifestyle for somebody. They said one out of ten black people actually had black people at the time actually had housing at you know, their own house just because of the time. But yeah, he he himself also had like he well where Kitty had a good lifestyle. His his life grew, you know, his childhood was not as good as hers. He grew up with his mom one day, said that she ended up having a tumor in his her stomach and said that she had to leave because of that. You know, go have the um have it removed. But the problem was she went to the doctor, had it removed. And when he came, never returned. She had, what she was sick of was sick of her 
husband, which her husband, the father, was Alfonso Mosley, and mother was Fanny S. Fanny left. He got tired of that, so there he is. He has no mother, but he has a father, but eventually his father left, too, as well. And later on, he actually confessed to young Winston that he was not his father, but if he acknowledges his father still, but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he was born March 2nd, 1935. Very intelligent man. But unfortunately, when their path, he was really, you know, anxious person. He had two lives. His life with his family, his job, and everything was one thing. But then he had his nightlife where he went around and did crimes. And, you know, you know I, we don't get into that, but. One night on the way home from work, a kitty had a little red Fiat. She was driving home. So approximately 2.30 a.m. on March 13, 1964, Genevieve left the bar where she worked and began driving home in her red Fiat. While waiting for a traffic light to change on Hoover Avenue, she was spotted by Winston Mosley, who was sitting in a parked car. Genevieve revived home around 3.15 and parked her car a New Gardens Long Island Rail Road Station parking lot, parking lot. Does that sound like a computer there? <laughs> Key Gardens Long Island Rail Road Station parking lot, <laughs> about a hundred feet from her apartment door in an alleyway at the rear of the building. As she was walking towards the apartment complex, Mosley, who had followed her home, ex exited his vehicle. Then he parked at, at a corner bus stop on Austin Street. A man with a hunting life, he approached Genevieve. She ran towards the front of the building because she, she saw the guy before she, you know, started approaching. So she started going around the front of the building. So she ran towards the front of the building, and Mosley ran after her, overtook her, and stabbed her twice in the back. Genevieve screamed, oh, my God, he stabbed me. Help me. Several neighbors heard her cry, and only a few of them recognized the sounds of a cry for help. When Robert Mosley, one of the neighbors, shouted out the attack, let that girl alone, Mosley ran away, and Genevieve slowly made her way towards the rear entrance of the building, seriously injured and out of you know, view of any witnesses. Now, a lot of people think, now this is where it gets crazy, a lot of people think that everybody watched and did nothing, but actually, in, they, they say 37, 38, you know, depends on what source you look at. There's different numbers of people. This is where we'll get into it about what came out of this. But really, two people, you know, did not do nothing. One was, well, let me get into the So Winston Mosley entered his car, drive away, but returned 10 minutes later because he was sitting there. He saw that nobody, none of the police called the police. And he knew that there was no police that was going to show. So shadowing his face with a wide brim hat, he, you know, returned searching the parking lot for Kitty in the train station apartment complex, eventually finding Genevieve, who was barely conscious, laying at the hallway of the back of the building, where a locked door was preventing her from going inside. Out of view of the street and those who may have heard the sign of any you know, of the attack, Mosley stabbed Genevieve several times more before raping her, stealing $49 from her, which is probably a good catch at the time, and running away. The attacker spanned approximately a half an hour. The attack spanned approximately hour, half an hour, and knife wounds and Genevieve's has suggested that they attempted to defend herself from from him. A neighbor and close friend, Sophia Farrar, found her shortly after the attack and held her in her arms until ambulance arrived. The records of the earliest call to the police were unclear and were not given a high priority. The incident occurred four years before New York City implemented the 911. You know, bef incident bef occurred four years before the 911 system was in place, so they were still working on it. One witness said his father called the police after initial attack and reported that a woman was beat up, but got up and was staggering, and, you know, staggering around a few minutes after the, the final attack. Another witness, Carl Ross, which I'm going to talk about him, called two friends for advice about what to do. The second whom called a third friend and then called the police. Let's talk about Carl Ross. Well, actually, let's go back. 
I don't have his name right in front of me right now, but when the attack first happened, right across the street, there is um, an elevator operator in the building across the street of that same building, and he saw the attack happen, but because he saw, she, he knew Kitty who Kitty was and knew that she was a lesbian, he just kind of looked the other way, did not want nothing to do with it, so he went back in the elevator, went back in his his apartment in the basement and went to sleep like nothing happened. So, by the way, Kitty did die on route to the ambulance. But Carl Ross, when attack was happening at the bottom of the stairs, his room, his apartment was right up the stairs. He actually opened up the door and looked down and saw the attack occurring, but closed the door real fast. And because his homosexuality was the same, he was afraid that if he called the police that it would they would not listen to him. They wouldn't take him seriously. Of course, he was a really fidget person. And he didn't know. So first he called on one friend who, who's, as a matter of fact, outside of the woman who was sitting there with him. He was the last. He, she actually looked down, but could, because of the stab wounds, couldn't say nothing. But he closed the door, called one friend, and said, so what should I do? What should I do? And she said, just mind your own business and do nothing. So she called another friend. And ask her what to do. And she said, well, go over to so-and-so's house, Sophia's house. And not Sophie, but another place. So he went out the window, crawled across the roof, and called Sophia, which was a good friend. Which this woman, we're talking about like a five-foot woman. But she had not hesitated. As soon as she found out Kitty was there, she leaped, you know, pajamas. I don't even think she has shoes on. Ran to Kitty's rescue, tried to save her. In fact, when she got to the, she had to press. Kitty was leaning against the door, so she had to press against it to get her out. But, yep, those are the two people that, you know, for sure seen them. But because of, uh, they got the news out before, you know, police was all over the place. You know, investigating what happened. And a few people did say what happened. <sighs> but I am sure rusty at this. That's what happens when you don't record for a month. <laughs> but, yeah, they interrogated people. There was nobody really of interest outside of Genevieve's unknown girlfriend at the time, Marianne Zonvalco, was questioned by Detective Michael Sang at 7 a.m. of the morning of the murder. She was later interrogated for six hours by two homicide detectives, John Carroll and Jerry Burns. She is questioned, whose questions centered on her relationship with Genevieve. Keep in mind that at the time, they only was known as roommates. She was also the police, also, this was also the police focus when they questioned the couple's neighbors initially. Of course, she was considered a suspect at first, but until... On March 19, 1964, six days after the stabbing, Winston Mosley was arrested for suspect Robin Ozark Park, Queens, after a television set was discovered in the trunk of his car, a white Chevrolet Cover. Mosley's car was, what happened was, he was robbing someone's house. Like I say, he was robbing someone's house, but a neighbor, um, Rel Cleary, became suspicious when he saw Mosley removing the television from a neighbor's house. He questioned Mosley, who claimed to be moving removal worker. However, after consulting with another neighbor, Jack Brown, who confirmed that the homeowners were not moving, Clary called the police. Brown dis disabled Mosley's car to ensure he pulled in a couple of cords out or popped the hood so he could not get away before the police arrived. A detective recalled that a white car had been reported by some of the witnesses by two Genovese murder and he informed Detective Carroll and saying during the questioning, Mosley admitted to the murder in Genovese and two other women, Annie Mae Johnson, who had been shot and burned to death in the apartment. So Kitty was not his first murder victim. This was her his second one. But, yes, she was burnt in her apartment in South Ozone Park a few weeks earlier, and 15-year-old Barbara Kulk, who had been killed in her parents' Springfield Gardens home, of the previous July. So, almost 29 years. So, Winston Mosley, like I told you, was 29 years old at the time of the murder. He was, I told you his, but trial. So, they got him. Mosley was charged with murder of Genovese, but was not charged with the two other murders that he committed. For a police 
complicating factor for for complicating was another man and i don't even know what i said right there <laughs> but anyhow so a placing factor that another man alva mitchell also confessed to the murdering of barbara correct so some other guy confessed to it i can never figure out why people do that if you need that i guess publicity but is it really worth the publicity to go to just only like 50 I, some people say it's the 15 minutes of fame or 15 minutes of shame uh, whatever you could call it either way but mosley's trial began on june 8th 1964 was preceded over by judge l Irwin shapiro shapiro which that name familiar for some reason i'm going to look that up mosley initially pleaded not guilty but his attorney late, later charged the, his plea to not guilty by reason of sanity during his testimony mosley described the events of the night he emerged on the V's along with two other murders to which he had confessed and numerous other burglaries and burglaries and rapes. The jury deliberated for several hours before returned a guilty verdict and around 10.30 p.m. of June 10th. On June 15th, Mosley was sentenced to you know, judge, be gone with you, asshole, sentenced to death for the murder of Kitty Genovese. When a jury foreman read the sentence, Mosley showed no emotion while some spectators applauded and cheered. Shapiro added, I don't believe in the capital punishment, but when I see a monster like this, I wouldn't hesitate to pull the switch myself. There you go. But on June 23rd, Mosley appeared, appeared as a defense witness in the trial of Alvin Mitchell for the murder of Barbara Kirk after being granted immunity from prosecution he testified that he had killed her so one thing he did because the trial proceeded in a hung jury but mitchell was convicted in a second degree second trial so he tried one thing he did good in his life on june 1st 1967 the new york court of appeals found mosley should have been able to argue that he was medically insane and the sentence hearing then the when the trial court I'm having a hard time. This is what happens when you have it recorded in a month. You get tongue-tied. You get ahead of yourself. But I'll try to get back on track. I do apologize. But, yeah, the New York Court of Appeals found that Mosley should have been able to argue that he was mentally in, medically insane at the sentencing hearing when the trial court found that he had been legally sane. And the sentence was reduced to, I guess, be gone with you again. You know, lifetime imprisonment. But... Uh, normally this would be the last time that you would hear from him but during this time he, he this is what attica i don't know if anybody remembers the attica prison prison riot there's movies about it but of uh, the the conditions that they were treating the prisoners was really bad so there's a really bad riot that happened there maybe one day i might cover that but he was there during this time so he hated it so bad there that I, the book that I read about him said that he actually put a can of spam up his ass. You know, he went to the the, the guards said, "Hey, I got an unpleasant feeling on my," and so they they tried to you know get it out themselves, but they could not. So they ended up bringing him to a hospital where they removed them, removed the can, and let him recover. So by, on March 18th, by on the way back, there was there was one armed person. So on the way back, he just got out and escaped because because of the injuries, they didn't shackle him or nothing. So Mosley escaped from the prison while being transferred, like I said, back to, he was from Meyer, Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, Memorial Hospital in Buffalo, New York, where he had undergone minor surgery for self-inflicted injury. He hit the transporting correctional officer, stole his weapon, and fled in a nearby vacant house owned by a Grand Island, New York couple. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Catherine Kalagaraga, K-U-L-A-G-A, where, where he stayed undetected for three days where he raped the women, just made life hell for them. On March 21st, they went to check on the, you know, where he, actually they weren't there at the time, but people, when they went to check on the house, because people were calling the police. Actually, he had called, now I remember this from the book, he had called a cleaning lady. And when the cleaning lady came up, he had raped her and sent her on her way. But she, he told her not call the, do not call the police, where she did. So the the, the owners of the house, Kelgis, Kelgis, first 
they decided they called the police, but it was going to be a while before they could show up. So they went to check on the house themselves where they encountered Mosley. First, they saw the broken window, but when they went in the house, Mosley was on top of the stairs waiting for him with the gun in hand. Who held them hostage for more than an hour, binding and gagging Matthew and raping Mrs. the missus. He then took the couple's car and fled. Mosley traveled to Grand Island where on March 22nd he broke into another house and held a woman and her daughter hostage for two hours before releasing them unharmed. He surrendered to police shortly afterwards and was charged with escape and kidnapping to which he pled guilty. Mosey was given two additional 15-year sentences to run concurrently with his life sentence. In September 1971, Mosley participated, like I said, in the Attica prison riot. Later that same decade, he obtained a Bachelor's of Arts and Sociology prison of Nigeria University. He became eligible for parole in 1984. During his first parole hearing, well, I will skip all that. He never got parole. They kept... They they were not planning on the cup. Matter of fact, I listen. I watch a YouTuber called Doctor Grande, which he does do really good episodes. If you ever want an analysis on different things, give him a try. Doctor Grande, and he 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 was stating some things about how why don't you you know stuff that stamp that says deny why don't you know take a hint read between the lines. Well, I'll I'll stop. I'll let you. Just go there and find Dr. Grande. But yeah, he was never paroled out of jail. So eventually, at he had, I'm getting, I don't know why I'm having a hard time. Like I said, I was hoping to do a lot more before this, but at age 81, he ended up passing away in jail on March 28, 2016. Now, let's see what the reaction of this. A lot of people believe that because a lot of people across the street was 37 people because it all started not too long after this uh, newspaper. The New York Times wrote an epi- you know, article about how 37 people stood around and did nothing. So in the following of the murder, it did not receive much media, but it took remark from New York Police Commissioner Michael J. Murphy to New York Times Metropolitan Editor. You know, after lunch, they're talking about it. But that's when he wrote the letter about 37 who saw the murder but did not call the police. It's been quoted and reproduced since 1964 with the corrected headline of 38 who saw the murder but didn't call the police. Which there is no evidence whatsoever that 38 people, like I said, the only actual fact was like the Carl, who was a homosexual at the time, was scared to do call the police and get, you know, intervene. Also, the my mind the i'm sorry the um elevator operator across the street i guess i need to slow down gary i'm almost done with this so but yeah since then a 911 you know was really implemented also at the time a lot of people could not do anonymous calls so they in place so if you see a crime or you know know of a crime you could call anonymously where before there wasn't also keep in mind this was back in 64 so a lot of people was still reacting, you know, aftermath of World War II. So it just was like a Jewish community. A lot of people still had the stamp on their hand, whether at Auschwitz, correctional, I'd say correctional, but concentration camps. And so a lot of them did not want nothing to do, you know, with calling the police and everything just because of that. And, of course, so there was not, you know, some people called the police, but there's a couple of people that did call the police. Also, there was a bar nearby, so a lot of bystanders thought that maybe it was because there's always arguing couples fr- in front of this place, and so they thought it might have been that. Also, there's the bystander effect, where they call it the Genovese, where a lot of people think the more people there is, more or less likely that somebody else would do something. So why should I do There's other people that would do it. But now there's laws implicated that if you do see a crime, you, it's your obligation to do something. And also... The 911. So, yeah. So, this has really changed a lot of ways where people, you know, looked at things. But there you go. There goes the tale of Kitty Genovese. Of course, like I said, the 911 popular culture. But, yeah, a lot of people, there was no 37, 38 people. There was only a few people just because the building was across the street from it. 
It doesn't mean everybody's seen it. But there you go. There's two women that actually made the unpack like I said, Daniel Denise Town on my knees, who small but in a big and lot some people's life, me with her hard work and her contribute to the Navy and you know, ROTC, you know, even with her rough childhood, she still managed to, you know, rise above, you know, the cream always rises to the top. Well she was the cream. And that's the same with Kitty Genovese, a really, you know, fun you know, just living her life, just happened to be in the wrong place and wrong person seeing her. A lot of people think if she would have waited 10 minutes, because all it took was for Winston to see her at this intersection and then with the 911, a lot of laws by an instant bystander, stuff like that. So, as always, a lot of people say if you see some, call some, you could save a life. But there you go. Like I said, for my you know regular listeners, I do apologize for the long pause. You know, but like I said, I, with job changing, I changed the job. I had to set up my studio. And plus, I was really trying to get information of my niece. Dan- I wanted this all be all on my, Dini- my niece, Danielle. But unfortunately, with the lack of information and lack of participation from the family members, they just, I don't know if they're, I'm saying, I may sound hateful to them, but maybe they just don't want to relive it. In fact, this last July was the 10th anniversary of my niece being murdered and there you have it there's Catherine, susan genovese and danielle denise town salvita i'll call that because that's what ancestry.com has her name under which i'll go with but if you like to tell the story thank you share with your friends i have my facebook group at truck.murder and also a youtube channel which is truck.murder i'm trying to build that up and if you also, if you want to, you can always go rate and review wherever you go. I know a lot of people say go to iTunes, Apple iTunes, rate and review there. It helped me a lot. Right now, I do have a Patreon and also a PayPal. PayPal is at truckstopmurder.com. I do have a website, truckstopmurder.com or truckstopmurder at Gmail for the Patreon. I don't know if I have them correct. I haven't seen them or maybe I just don't have no Patreons and no one will give me nothing. But that's fine. You know, this is mainly as a, a hobby right now. I'm going to continue to hopefully eventually it become profitable for me. But, yeah, there you go. And if you like what you hear, do all that. And also, as always, and I always end with this, and I'll continue doing it, but you can't fix stupid. But you can sure numb it with the 2 by 4 I am out of here.